Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. Thank you all of you for being in church this morning. We're we're kicking off our brand new Christmas series, The Characters of Christmas. And usually our series is is Sunday mornings only, but as I was studying for this series over the last couple of months, uh, there are too many characters. I'm not going to hit all of them even in what we're going to do, but I I needed more than just three or four Sunday mornings. And so I will be in this series tonight at five o'clock, a different message uh, focusing on a different character and on Christmas Eve. So I think there are seven messages in this series during the month of December for our services, and I hope that it'll be a blessing to you as we open up and take a look at the Christmas story and some of the people that were involved in um, the birth of Christ, Jesus Christ coming to earth, and some things that we can learn from their lives. Do you ever feel forgotten, unseen, unnoticed, unimportant? You start to wonder, does anybody care? Does anybody know what I'm going through? And here's the dangerous part. Sometimes we can feel like, does God care? Has God forgotten me? Does he really see where I'm at? And does he really know what I'm going through? Does he really see my plight and understand my pain? I'd like to encourage you this morning that if you've ever felt that way, or maybe you're here this morning and you're feeling that way, maybe that's why you're in church. You're searching for something. You feel like something's missing. I'd like to encourage you that you're not alone in feeling that way. The prophet Isaiah recounted how the children of Israel felt in Isaiah 49, verse number 14. And it says, but Zion, or Israel, said, the Lord hath forsaken me, and my Lord hath forgotten me. The psalmist said, my soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my meat day and night. Do you ever feel that way? And then he said this, while they consent to my my tears, continually say unto me, where is thy God? Is God real? Is he there? Does he see? Has he forgotten? And I think intellectually, those of us that would believe in Scripture, intellectually we understand, of course, God sees and knows and has not forgotten. But on a more personal, uh, emotional, even sometimes maybe for a spiritual level, we can feel that way, can't we? The psalmist said in that same uh, verse, a little bit, uh, same chapter a little bit later, uh, the psalmist said, I will say unto God, my rock, why hast thou forgotten me? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? A couple chapters later, a couple psalms later, the psalmist says, awake, why awake, why sleepest thou, O Lord? God, wake up. We need your help. Have you ever tried to call somebody or text somebody and they're asleep and you're like, I need, I need an answer right now and wake up. And this is what the psalmist is saying here. I need an answer. I need, I need some help. Wake up. Arise, cast us not off forever. Wherefore hidest thou thy face and forgettest our affliction and our oppression? How could you possibly, how could you let this happen? 
For our soul is bowed down to the dust, our belly cleaveth unto the earth. Arise for our help and redeem us for thy mercy's sake. Psalm, chapter, uh, Psalm number 13, the Bible says, How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord, forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall mine enemy be exalted over me? God, how long is this going to go where it seems like you've forgotten? It seems like I don't know what's going on. How long? Job said it this way in the midst of his trials in Job chapter number 23. Then Job answered and said, Even today is my complaint bitter. My stroke is heavier than my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him. You ever feel like that? I wish I could find God in this. I wish I could figure out what he's doing. I, I wish I could get an answer. Oh, that I might find him. That I knew where I might find him. What does he say? Oh, that I, that I might come even to his seat. And here's what he says. Behold, I go forward, but he's not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand that I cannot see him. What did he say? I, I looked here and he wasn't there. And I looked there and I, I went over here and I went over there. What is he saying? I don't know what God is doing in my life. And I can't seem to get any answers. Forgotten. Has God forgotten? If you've ever felt that way, Again, you're not alone. We see it in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. If you resonate with any of these verses, we're going to address those who feel forgotten in this first message of our Christmas series, The Characters of Christmas. And this morning, I want to bring you a message entitled, Jesus Came for the Forgotten. We're looking at different characters in the Christmas story, and this morning, we're going to look at the, the lives of Jesus' great aunt and uncle, Zechariah and Elizabeth. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke in chapter number one. We often, uh, many times, a Christian, Christian tradition, and our family will do this. We'll read from Luke 2 on Christmas morning with our family. Often for us, it's before we open up presents on Christmas morning. Everyone gets up. The older the kids get, parents, the better it gets. They want to sleep in, and you have to go wake them up. When they're young, they don't let you sleep. Am I right? And the hard part for our family is we have some young ones and some old ones. So the young ones wake up early, want to get up, and the old ones don't. And so then we, we just we go in and pour water on them and get them up. And we, we gather around the Christmas tree. And we've got all of the presents that everybody has purchased for one another. And, uh, and, and we stop and we pray and thank God for the gift, the greatest gift that's not under the tree, but it's the gift of Christ. And then I read from Luke 2. And I can remember this. You see, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I wasn't born into a Christian home, I should say. And I got saved at the age of nine. And so around 10 or 11 or 12, we started to learn some of these things. So I w I'm old enough, as they say, to remember Christmas without the Christmas story. And I can remember as like a 10 or 11 or 12-year-old boy, how long is Luke 2 going to go? I want to open these presents. And I've, I've tried to encourage parents. You, there are certain people, some people read the whole chapter. Don't do that to your kids before Christmas presents. Read like, I don't know, I haven't looked lately, like the first 10 or 12 verses. If you want to read the rest of it, do it after the presents are open. But we often go to Luke 2 to read for the Christmas story. This morning and tonight, we're going to be in Luke 1, the chapter leading up to that, that, uh, that Christmas story. And as we open up Luke 1, this is the first four books of the New Testament of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're the stories of Christ coming to earth. We have to remember when we're reading the Gospels, what is happening, where we are in history. Where we are in history, Christ is about to come. 
But where we are is the Old Testament has ended and there has been 400 years of silence. So when we pick up Luke 1, we're finding a people that could probably feel in some ways like they've been forgotten for centuries. 400 years. Now, God, he was always at work, but God was at work in some amazing ways in the centuries before that. You look in the Old Testament, you have all of the Old Testament stories, and, and you have the, the, the God delivering his people out of Egypt and the 10 plagues, and, and you have Moses and Abraham and, and, and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, and you have all of these patriarchs, and you have kings, and, and you have battles, and you have, you have all of these things in the line of David that the Messiah is going to come from. You have all of the prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Hosea and Micah. You have these prophets, and in the Old Testament, what do they do? It's a time of action, and they're prophesying, Messiah is coming. There's, there's someone coming to, to save us. There's someone coming to redeem us, and then it just goes to radio silence for 400 years. No prophets, nothing recorded in Scripture. For 400 years, the children of Israel go about their daily lives. They go to temple weekly. The priests go to temple daily, and they do all of the things that they were told to do. And, and in fact, as a priest, on a daily basis, they would go, and part of what they would do is they would pray from the Old Testament, and they would pray through some of the things in the Torah and others, and they would pray, we're looking and waiting for our Messiah day after day after day. God, we're waiting for that Messiah after week after week. God, are you going to send that deliverer after month? after month. God, have you forgotten us after year, after year? God, we're still here. We still need you after decade, after decade, generation after generation, century after century. And I have to imagine that the people of God felt, has he forgotten? What happened? Where are we? And, and we're going to see God coming to a forgotten or those that would feel like a forgotten people, but not only the nation of Israel as a whole, but the characters we're going to study in some ways could have felt like they were a forgotten couple. Look, pick up the story, if you will, the text. Luke in chapter number one, the very beginning that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that Luke pens after 400 years of silence. Here we are in Luke 1. Let's pick it up in verse number 5. Verse number 5. The Bible says, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Albia, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was, what is it, church? What's her name? Elizabeth. So we have Zechariah and Elizabeth, verse number six. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. These are godly people. They believed in scripture. They sought to live by it. Verse number seven, verse number seven, and they had no child because that Elizabeth was barren and they both were now well stricken in years. As a couple, and in this society in particular, to not have a child was viewed as a direct indicator that you were not blessed of God. I believe today we understand a much bigger picture of God's sovereignty and of God's plan. But in those days, and you can see it throughout, the, throughout Scripture, throughout the Old Testament, in this chapter, a little later we'll see it. This was a major burden to carry, and it made you less than. 
that God would not allow, would not open the womb of a wife, made them. And, and may I just stop and say here, God has a different plan for every family. God has a different plan for every individual. God's plan is not for every individual to get married. God's plan is not for every married couple to be able to physically deliver children. If God chooses to allow a family to have children, that's a gift from God. But it does not make you less than if you're not able to physically have children, or if that's not God's plan for your life. I hope we understand that because sometimes maybe our own flesh or Satan can show us the things that maybe we don't have that someone else does and get us to think that God has forgotten us. God has not forgotten any of us. But in this society, to not have a child was a direct indicator that God, you, God must not love you as much as he loves someone else. He must not have, and now they're, they're well stricken in, in years. They had prayed for decades and no answer. Maybe God had forgotten them. By this time, they had resigned to their fate. They would never know the joy of a newborn child. They were well stricken in years. They would never hear the whisper of a child's first words. And verse number uh, eight, it says, and it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, this is not my message, but can I just stop and say this? I love the fact that Zechariah was faithful to his calling even in the midst of the disappointments of life. We know it's going to be a disappointment because we're going to see it later in this chapter. They are disappointed they could never have children. And yet in the midst of their disappointments, in the midst of maybe feeling like God didn't answer, God didn't hear, maybe God didn't care in this area, Zechariah still faithfully, and Elizabeth faithfully loved God, worshiped God, and served God in the midst of their disappointments. Another message for another day, but I like that verse. Verse number nine. According to the custom of the priest's office, notice this, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. We read that verse. Okay, so a lot has to go in and, and, and get a candle and go light some incense. What we just read in verse number nine would have been the most important, biggest day in the life of a priest. There were hundreds of priests, and you saw it, his lot. They would cast lots to see who would go in. And this was an unbelievably special day for Zechariah because he was chosen to go into the holy place and burn the incense at the altar. And, and so they would almost roll dice, cast lots. This, was, this would have been very likely a once-in-a-lifetime event, the highest honor in a temple priest's life to be able to do this. So that's where we find Zechariah on just another regular day, but it's not regular because he has this great honor. Verse 10, verse number 10. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. He's in there by himself. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was what, church? He was, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. He was scared. He walked in to do his job and there's an angel of the Lord standing right there. And I don't know, the Bible doesn't tell us, maybe Zacharias had, been, had cast his lot and been able to do this before. A very good chance. Maybe this was his first time to ever do it. And he's probably, is this what happens to everybody when they come in here? What is going on? What's happening here? So look at verse, verse number 13. But the angel said unto him, fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and he shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And by the way, I'm going to hit on this tonight, but, but, but there, there, 
from his mother's womb. He was a baby. God loves and cares for the unborn. We're going to talk about this a little bit more tonight, but in the midst of what's going on in our nation with Supreme Court even this week, God knows who a child is. They're not a clump of cells or just a fetus that we can do what we want with in it, inside of a mother's womb. They are a God-given life. And it said, from his mother's womb, I have a plan for him. Just remember that when the, when the, the, the wave of, 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 of Social, uh, of mainstream media tries to push a different narrative. God, God loves every child, the unborn, and we're going to hit on that tonight. Verse, uh, verse, it says here, from the, even from his mother's womb, verse number 16, and many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God, and he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient. This is somewhat of a, a, a hearkening back to Malachi, the last time God had spoken. And it's like, I didn't forget what I said back in the Old Testament. The disobedient to the wisdom of the just. This is a, a reference back to the last verse of the Old Testament. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah and Elizabeth have a great plan for your child. You're going to give birth to the forerunner of Jesus Christ. You're going to give birth, and you don't know it yet, but he's going to be your, your great nephew. Because Mary and Elizabeth were, were second cousins. He's going to—I'm sorry, great aunt. That was her great aunt. They would be second cousins, John the Baptist and Jesus. He didn't know that part of the story yet, but in about six months, I'm going uh, to let Mary know that she is going to be bringing the Messiah to earth, but you're going to bring the forerunner to the Messiah, the one who's going to prepare the way, saying, you thought he forgot us. You thought he forgot where we were. It's been hundreds of years, but Messiah is coming. Prepare the—behold, the Lamb of God. God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Hey, Israel, hey, world, hey, Gentiles, God hasn't forgotten us. That is who your son is going to be, Zechariah and Elizabeth. That's who he's going to be. I've got a special plan for your child. Verse number 19, and the angel said unto him, I'm sorry, verse 18, we, we, we skipped it. And I'm almost done. When we get here, I'll apply it and we'll, we'll be through. But I want us to see the story. Verse 18, and Zechariah said unto the angel, whereby shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife well stricken in years. How's this going to happen? I don't, think, I don't think science says we can have a kid right now. And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God and am sent to speak unto thee and to show thee these glad tidings. And behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed. Some ladies are like, that would be a good Christmas present right there. That happened to my husband. Because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. Because, because you're doubting God's plan, you're not going to be able to speak until, until this comes, till the baby comes. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. What happened to him in there? What's he waiting for? And when he came out, he could not speak unto them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. And it came to pass that as soon as the days of his ministration were accomplished, he departed to his own house. And after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months, saying, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me to take away my reproach among men. You see that again there? She, she lived with this feeling of reproach because of what she didn't have. So get the story. He goes in. He's excited. Hey, honey, this is the day. I won the lottery. I get to go in and, and, and this, my, they, they, pick my, they cast my lot. I get to go in and burn incense. This is amazing. What a, what a special moment with me and my God. And he goes in and there's the angel of the Lord and you're going to have a baby. I think you got the wrong guy. I heard about Abraham and Sarah, but I don't think that can happen. How's this going to happen? Well, you didn't believe me, so you're not going to be able to talk. He, he's in there a long time. Everybody's, they, they were praying outside, but they, their prayers kind of ended. They're like, where did he go? Nobody else ever takes this long. He's really, he's really enjoying his time in there. And he comes out, and I have to, it says he beckoned unto him, but he was speechless. I kind of picture, he's like, 
And they're like charades, you know, Pictionary, like uh, two words, three, what, what is it, you know, and trying to figure it out. And he's, he's I, I don't know for sure, but I think he's kind of beckoning, and, he, and he's there kind of trying to tell him the story, what's going on. And I said, and my wife and a baby, what, somebody help this guy, what's going on here? I don't know what he was doing, but, but trying to figure that out. And we see here the promise that God would give to Zechariah and to Elizabeth, a child, John the Baptist, who would be the forerunner of Christ. And God is going to send his son to earth, and part of that plan is that he's going to bless this couple with a son that will be raised to be used for God's purposes. Zechariah and Elizabeth, we will have a miracle child six months before the Christ child comes at the first Christmas. Two miracle Christmas babies. Two miracle babies surrounding the first Christmas. Jesus and John the Baptist. What a Christmas miracle. Speaking of Christmas miracles, I heard about a father who asked his little boy, what do you want for Christmas? He said, I want a baby sister. The boy didn't know it, but actually they had just found out that the mom was expecting a child. And she went to the hospital on Christmas Eve and delivered a baby girl. And so they brought on Christmas Day, brought home that baby sister to that little boy. And, uh, and, 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 and his Christmas wish was granted. The next year, when the father asked his little boy what he wanted for Christmas, the boy said, if it wouldn't make mommy too uncomfortable, I'd like a pony. <laughs> Be careful what expectations you create and you set with the gifts you give this Christmas is the moral there. But 400 years since God has spoken to his people, no prophets, no angels, no kings, no deliverers. Israel has endured revolution and war in these years. God's people had been scattered and some had returned. The Syrians had savaged the land and the people during this time. Pompey the Great had brought Israel into bondage during these 400 years of silence. Every day as they walked to the temple built by Herod, that ruthless and illegitimate king of Israel, they saw the Roman flag waving high above their land. For 400 years, God was silent. But here's what I want us to remember as we look at the Christmas story. He wasn't sleeping. He was silent, but he wasn't sleeping. And he breaks his silence. He could have broken his silence to anyone, but he breaks his silence to an ordinary priest and his wife, one that felt less than. Six months later, he's going to break his silence to just a young, engaged virgin. He breaks his silence to just—he could have broken his silence to the multitudes. He could have broken his silence to royalty. He breaks his silence to an ordinary priest, Zechariah. The news of Israel's deliverer would not come from the palace, but in a Jewish house of worship to an aging priest. And I love this, and I don't think it's a coincidence. Do you know what the name Zechariah means? The name Zechariah means the Lord has remembered. 400 years of silence. Zechariah, I haven't forgotten. You're going to know a lot earlier than most others. You're going to know for months that I'm doing a new work. But I want you to know, Zechariah, what your name, the Lord, has remembered. It's true. I've remembered. And this morning, Christmas, I want to bring a, a simple message from the, the, the lives of these characters. But Christmas is a reminder that the Lord has remembered. You might feel forgotten this morning. May I just say to you, God may be silent, but he isn't sleeping. God has not forgotten you. God, God sees where you're at, and God knows where you're at. The Lord has not forgotten you. Jesus came for the forgotten. What is the 
the lesson we learn from Zechariah and Elizabeth. We can learn a bunch of them, but the one I pull out today is this, that Jesus came for the forgotten. He came for the ones that felt less than. He came for the ones that felt a reproach. He came for the ones that, that endured difficulty, that, that seemed like God didn't hear them for years. He came for the, the forgotten. I want to give us four beautiful takeaways from this story. Number one, I want to say this, God sees your pain. God sees your pain, both collectively Israel as a people and also Zechariah and Elizabeth as a couple. As one author said, the same God who remembered his people in Egypt and remembered his people in Judea and remembered his people on the cross has remembered you. The same God who remembered his people in Egypt and remembered his people here in Judea and remembered his people on the cross has remembered you. God saw Israel's pain here. He saw Zechariah and Elizabeth's pain as he would walk on this earth as Messiah. He saw Mary and Martha's pain when Lazarus died. He saw Peter and Peter's mother-in-law's pain. He saw the centurion's pain. He saw the woman with the issue of blood's pain. He saw the crippled man's pain, and he sees your pain. Christmas is a reminder that God sees your pain, and he came for those who think they are forgotten. No matter where you are in life, would you walk out? out of this room today knowing that God has not forgotten you. He sees your pain. Number two, he hears your prayers. He sees your pain. He hears your prayers. What does he tell? They had prayed for years with no answer. And this is not a prosperity gospel message. If you just keep praying, you're going to get whatever you want. No, but it is a reminder that God does hear the prayers of his people. And God does hear. He sees our pain, and He hears our prayers. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, I skipped a slide there, Teach. Go back to Hebrews chapter 4 about God seeing our pain because it ties in with the next verse I'm going to give. Hebrews 4 verse 15, the Bible says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. He sees your pain. The next verse, Hebrews 4 16 says this, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He sees your pain. He knows what you're going through. So you can go to him in prayer, and he hears your prayer. He feels your pain. He hears your prayer. First Peter chapter 5 says, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Number three, you guys, it's a Christmas miracle. I said four takeaways. I'm already on number three. That was like 90 seconds. Number three, God keeps his promises. He keeps his promises. What did he promise? He promised... To Zechariah, Zechariah, a child in his old age. What did he do? He kept his promise. It says it there in verse uh, 23. Uh, I'm sorry, verse number, uh, uh, verse number 24. And after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. He keeps his promises. But even bigger than that, what had he promised for millennia? He had promised the Messiah would come. You can find hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament that Jesus will come to save his people from their sins. Hundreds of prophecies. And what happens after 400 years of silence, after feeling like maybe we were forgotten, after feeling like maybe is this thing of following God really real after all? We've been doing it for hundreds of years in my family, and it doesn't seem like anything's changing. It doesn't seem like those promises are getting fulfilled. It doesn't seem like it's working out the way that my grandma and grandpa told me it would work out. And what does the Christmas story remind us that 
God keeps his promises. God sees our pain. He hears our prayer, and he keeps his promises. May I say this? He may not always work on our timetable, but he is always at work. 400 years of silence, but his promises were no less valid than when they had been given centuries before. God doesn't always work on our timetable, but he is always at work, church. And number four, number four, Christmas is a reminder that Jesus came for the forgotten. Number four, I told you earlier that God sees and he doesn't forget, but God does forget some things. He does forget some things. Christmas is a reminder that God does want to forget some things, namely your sins and mine. The whole reason that he sent his son to earth was to pay for your sins and mine so that we could have eternal life in heaven. What did the writer of Hebrews say in Hebrews chapter number eight? For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities. Will I what church? Remember no more. What does he say? I got some stuff I want to forget. You have some things in your life you want to forget? I think we all do, right? God said, I have some things that I want to forget. It's your sin. And if you'll accept the gift, the free gift of salvation, of eternal life through Christ, here's what he says. I'll remember your sins and your iniquities no more. I'll forget those things. I'll cast them as far as the east is from the west. So has he removed our iniquities from us because of Jesus and his payment for us that we celebrate the coming of at Christmas. God said, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. And Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah said, Isaiah 43, speaking on behalf of God, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. So what do we learn from Zechariah and Elizabeth and their involvement in the Christmas story, the incarnation of Jesus Christ? What do we learn? Here's what we learn. Here's the, the one statement summary of the message. He hasn't forgotten you, but he wants to forget your sins. He hasn't forgotten you, but he wants to forget. And what I mean by that is to forgive. And he uses that terminology of, of we say forgive and forget in our, in, in our vernacular, right? Forgive and forget. Here's the reality. You can't. What we mean when we say that is forgive and choose not to keep bringing it back up. That's what we mean when we say forgive and forget. And you know what God does? He forgives and then he says, I choose to never bring that back up again. It doesn't mean our God is some forgetful, senile, senior citizen up in heaven. I don't mean that some grandpa in a rocking chair. That's not what it means when he wants to forget your sin. What it means is he wants to save you. He wants to forgive you of your sins past, present, and future. And you know what he wants to do? He says, because, uh, because my son that you celebrated Christmas, because he took your sins upon him on the cross, here's what I want to do. I want to never bring that back up again. And when I look at you, all I want to see is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's what Christmas is all about. Jesus came for the forgotten. Those in Israel that felt forgotten, a sweet couple, an aging priest and his wife that may have felt forgotten, he came to the forgotten so they could be remembered eternally and have their sins eternally forgotten. Kind of a Dr. Seuss line there. Let me say that one more time. Jesus came to the forgotten so that they could be remembered eternally and have their sins eternally forgotten. So here's the question. Will you accept this free and unfathomable gift of eternal forgiveness that was made possible by the coming of Christ when he came to earth, that which we celebrate each December 25th? Tonight, we're going to look at this couple's unborn baby son.
few takeaways tonight. John the Baptist, and again, I think it's interesting God had us here in light of this week's events in America. We're going to look at that, and Jesus came for the children is the message tonight. This morning, Jesus came for the forgotten. Join us tonight for that message, but this morning, do you feel forgotten by someone? Betrayed? Maybe even, at times, forgotten by God? What do we see as Zechariah and Elizabeth? He sees your pain. He hears your prayer. He keeps his promises. And there are some things he wants to forget. If you've never been saved, let today be the day of your salvation, that you could have your sins eternally forgotten. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.